0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Ben, and I'm going to be reading our scripture for us this morning and then preaching it. Uh, So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 11. We'll be in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 11, and then we'll pick back up in verse 27 of chapter 11 and read down through chapter 12, verse 3. And if you're using the Bible in the pew back there, it'll be on page 7, Easy enough to find this morning. So Genesis chapter eleven, starting in verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. It says Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I'm jumping down to verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. Well, at this time, I'll invite the children ages 4 through 1st grade to be dismissed. They can go see Carolyn in the back there, and they'll be coming back to us before our closing song, to participate in our closing song, which we are excited about this morning. Well, as they're still leaving us, uh, David mentioned this at the beginning of the service, but we are starting a new sermon series this morning. And as you can probably tell by the decoration of the sanctuary, this sermon series is going to be focused on the nation's. This, what we're going to do in the sermon series is take five passages in the storyline of the Bible that highlight God's missionary heart to reach people of all nations with the good news of Jesus. And as we do that, our hope is that we would stir up our church to be a missionary people along with that. And I didn't say this first service, I can't believe I forgot. But our last week of this sermon series, we have a very exciting announcement which we'll give more uh, detail towards here in the coming weeks about a missionary opportunity from our church towards a nation around the world. But as we talk about what God's heart is and, and what God loves in this sermon series, we should ask ourselves about the things that we love. So as individuals, we all have hobbies and interests and passions, things which we love doing that bring our hearts joy. And have you ever stopped to wonder where your specific interests and passions came from? What was it that sparked a love in you for the things that you love to do? I'm sure there are many different answers we could give to that question, but one prominent way in which we, a lot of us might answer that question is that we love something because we've seen somebody else love that thing first. For instance, my love for the outdoors came from watching my wife Whitley love it first. My wife Whitley uh, grew up for four years in Colorado, and she loves camping and kayaking and hiking. And as I saw her doing those things, my heart began to grow, to love those things. And now that's one of the things I love most dearly. In this week, as we begin this sermon series titled Joy to the World, God's Heart for the Nations, I hope that this same dynamic occurs within our church. As we open the scriptures and see God's heart for the people spread across the globe, as we gaze into his heart, I pray that our hearts would grow to love what God loves, and that our lives would resound with the desire to see people from every tribe and tongue and nation come to know the Lord Jesus. So we're going to begin this study of ours near the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 11 and 12, where this love of God for the nations begins to spill off of the pages of Scripture. But we can't begin to understand Genesis 11 rightly unless we understand it as the climax of the whole story of Genesis 1 through 11. You see, the first 11 chapters of the Bible tell a story about God and humanity. They speak of how God created all things in this world good. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see that God made mankind, man and woman, together in his image as the crown of his creation. And God blesses this first man and woman and commissions them to be fruitful and multiply and to spread out over the corners of the earth, filling the world with more worshipers of God. However, in Genesis 3... Adam and Eve decide to take matters into their own hands. They think that they have the right to rule their lives on their own terms, and so they rebel against their maker. And as a result, they're exiled from God's presence, and rather than being blessed in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, they discover the curse of being exiled away from him one way that you could look at all of Genesis chapters 3 through 11 as is as one big movement of humanity away from the presence and blessing of God and that's why when we come to chapter 11 verse 2 you'll see that it says as a people as people migrated from the east Now another way to translate that phrase is eastward, towards the east. Now when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they left by way of this entrance at the easternmost part of the garden. So when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they went out to the east. After Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4, he built a city to the east, and here Humanity, sinfully positioned against God, moves to the east to set up their own empire. Sinful humanity is relentlessly running from their Lord. And this lot of humanity, all of whom speak the same language, settle down at this place called Shinar to build a city and a tower. Now, when we read the word tower... I think what likely comes to most of our minds is something like the Empire State Building or another famous skyscraper. We might think of the city line of New York City, or for those of you who have been watching the Olympics, this is bad, I don't know what that tower in Tokyo is called, but whatever that tower is that they keep showing on the Olympic promos, I'd be thinking of that. But when we read tower, we ought to think of an ancient temple, what they called a ziggurat, were these ancient temple structures that were like seven stories tall. And their intention in building this temple tower is clear. They want to reach the heavens. They want to make a name for themselves. To put it in the language of the story of Adam and Eve, these people wanted to become like God. And their temple tower was a monument to their own self-reliance and their own ability to govern reality on their own terms apart from God. And it's the same tower that we seek to add bricks to when we throw every ounce of our time and energy into our careers in order to make a name for ourselves. Or whenever we try our hardest to keep up the appearances of having a perfect family and perfect children to make a name for ourselves. It's the same tower that our society seeks to build when we pride ourselves in our technological advances to make a name for ourselves. Or when we value financial gain at all costs to make a name for ourselves. You see, although... We are far removed both physically and temporally from that ancient city. We are all Babylonians at heart. We are all people who want to throw off God and make a name for ourselves. And so how does God respond to our prideful pursuits? Well, look with me at verses 5 and 6 again, if you will. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city, And the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. One way to look at this whole story here in chapter 11 is to view it as a satire mocking the futility of our human achievement. So think about this in verse 5. The Lord came down. So this tower that was supposed to reach into the heights of the heavens and proclaim human beings' autonomy, God has to get down on his hands and knees and peer through his divine microscope just in order to see it. God looks at our tower and our human achievements and says, That's cute, guys. But in another sense, God comes down and what he sees is severe. There is nothing these humans can't do if they put their collective mind to it. Now, God is certainly not threatened by this. But he is concerned for what a united human collective in sin would do to one another the destruction that they would wreak upon one another as they sought to make a name for themselves. And so God intervenes. God prevents these people from doing all that they could set their mind to by scattering them and confusing their languages. Now, this was an act of judgment. It certainly was for their own rebellion. But it was also an act of mercy. Because God was not done with human beings yet. And so he intervened and uh, prevented them from this fate of destruction. And then the final proclamation upon this city resounds in verse 9. Where the Lord says that this place was named Babel. Now, Babel or Babylon, according to that, that name's ancient etymology, meant gate of the gods. And that's certainly how the Babylonians understood their city. The place that was so exalted that it was on the threshold of heaven itself. The realm of the gods. But God here proclaims the truth about Babylon. That it means confusion. This story rings with the truth that all of our human efforts to become like God all of our efforts to throw off God and rule our own lives merely end in confusion and chaos. Do we not see that in our own lives? Do we not see that in our world? And so where does this leave us? At the end of this portion of Genesis 11, the people that God made in his own image to bless have fallen so far in sin that they are scattered and isolated across the earth. Where do we go from here? Are God's purposes for humanity over with? These are the kinds of questions we should be asking at the end of this story. But thankfully, this is not the final word. And in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord speaks again, and this time he speaks A word of his blessing. Do you read chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 with me again? It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God proclaims his blessing into the exile and confusion of Babylon and of the nations. Now you may have thought it a little strange when I read the passage at the beginning of this sermon and I included the end of chapter 11 there with all of those kind of obscure places and names in it. Why did we read that in our reading at the beginning of this sermon? Well, those places and names reveal something crucial about who Abram was and the nature of God's blessing to him. See, from those verses, we discover that Abram's father's name is Terah. And Terah was a name that likely meant moon, And in Ur and in Haran, where these people dwelt, they were both centers of lunar worship in the ancient world, people where the moon was worshiped as a god. And this means that Abram comes from a family of idolaters. God does not call Abram because he was the cream of the crop, because He had such devotion to God and such upright character. Abram was like the rest of humanity. Abram, although scattered from Babylon, himself had a Babylonian heart. And yet God chose to meet him and to call him out into fellowship with himself, to bless him so that he might be a blessing. This text teaches us that God doesn't call Qualified people who have it all together. God qualifies the people that He calls. Another way to say that is that God is a God of grace. God is a God who lavishes favor upon the undeserving. And God makes these lofty promises here to this idolatrous man, and He calls him out of his former life and gives him a new vocation. And ultimately, at the end of verse 2, we see why God is going to bless Abram with a family and land. Look at the end of verse 2. It says that he will be blessed and his name will be made great. See that in contrast to Babylon in chapter 11. God makes his name great. So that you will be a blessing. God blesses Abram so others can be blessed in him. And who are these other people who are going to be blessed in Abram? Well, in verse 3, we see it's all the families of the earth. In other words, the very people scattered by God from Babylon to the ends of the earth, the people confused, the people who rebelled against him are those whom God wants to bring back into the sphere of his blessing. And this should come as no surprise to us. This was the heart of God from the very first page of the Bible. For human beings to live in relationship with him and to be blessed and to spread out, becoming a blessing to the whole world. God's plan was not lost. God's heart is that people trapped in the destructive devices of Babylon. People condemned to try to rule their own life. To try to play God for themselves. People lost and scattered in sin Would be brought back into the sphere of his blessing through this one man, Abram. And from there, the storyline of the Bible unfolds before us. And just like Abram, we as the church of Jesus are called to go and be a blessing. We are called into this plan of God to reach the nations with the gospel. We're called to share in the heartbeat of God that people spread across the globe, scattered in idolatry, would come out of the curse of Babylon into fellowship with God as members of Abram's family. And that's a wonderful calling that we have been called to. What grace that the Lord would choose us to be a part of this! And what a grand plan that He has! It's amazing. But what did that huge calling and grand plan of God for the redemption of the world mean on the ground in Abram's life? And what does it mean for us? Well, when we are called into God's plan, when we are saved by his grace and blessed so that we might be a blessing to the nations, it means two things for us that we see in this text. It means that we must get out of our comfort zones And that we must have faith in God even in the unknown. Must get out of our comfort zones and have faith in God even in the unknown. So, first, we must get out of our comfort zone. Look with me at verse 1 again. This is what the Lord says to Abram Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, I don't know if this is just anecdotal or if this is real, but I think at least in my experience of living in central Pennsylvania almost my whole life, I think this is true. I've heard, I've heard it said that people in central Pennsylvania live on average about eight miles away from their mother. Now, I won't make everybody raise their hands here, but I'll raise my hand and say, I think I live about eight miles away from my mom. I'm pretty typical. Typical. And so what is God calling Abram out of here? He's calling him to leave his family, his kindred, and his land. In other words, he's calling him to leave his comfort zone. He's calling him to leave the place of familiarity and go somewhere new. And in the Hebrew, that word go, that command at the beginning of this speech is actually two different forms. There's two words there that emphasize Abram's own agency in the matter. So if we were to make it emphatic, essentially the text is saying, Abram, even if no one from your family follows me, you follow me. It sounds similar to Jesus' radical calls to count the cost and follow him that we hear in the Gospels. But, church, the call of God for us is one that requires we leave behind our comfort. If we hear and respond to the gracious call of God, it means that unlike the people living in Babylon in the system of the world, we cease trying to play God in our own lives. And that means that any part of our life that Jesus wants, he gets, he can have. And this is how it works when we're saved by grace. This is how grace works. So if God saves us by grace, if like Abram, we don't contribute anything to God's choosing of us and God's blessing us, we have nothing to leverage with. God's demands upon us are total and final. He is our master, a gracious master, but he is our master. That should make us a little bit uncomfortable. Where might Jesus be calling you out of comfort into sacrificial service for his goal of seeing the nations blessed? Might you be called into full-time missionary service? That's uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't think we ask ourselves that question very often, though. If God has a heart for the nations of this world, might he be calling you to that? Might you be called to give sacrificially so that it hurts to see the gospel spread? Might you be called not to move into another country necessarily, but to another neighborhood, maybe one that makes you uncomfortable here in our locality to make Jesus known? Maybe for you today, it's that first step of obedience that the Lord is calling you to. To share the good news of Jesus with your neighbor who you've been putting off for a long time. Or to give up a few minutes of your time in the evenings and before your children go to bed, lead your family in prayer for the missionaries that this church supports. I can't tell you what the Lord is calling you to or where the Lord's calling you to get out of your comfort zone. But I can say definitively from this text that we are blessed by Jesus in order to be a blessing. We are not blessed in Christ to live comfortable, insulated lives. We are blessed to go and be a blessing. So the second thing, when we're called into God's plan to bless the nations is that we must have faith in God, even in the unknown. Now, as we read chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, did you notice the lunacy of how some of these, problem, how some of these promises sounded? Especially to Abraham. Look at verse 1, where he says, Go from your country, and then at the end of verse 1, To the land that I will show you. So not only has Abram not had this house inspected, not only has Abram not seen this house in person with his own eyes and walked around it, not only has Abram not looked at pictures of this house on Zillow, Abram lives in another state and has never seen it at all. And God says, hey, just go, and I'll tell you where it is. (laughs) It's a little bit crazy. And look at verse 2, where it says, I will make of you a great nation. Okay, but jump back up to chapter 11, verse 30, where it says, Now Sarai, his wife, was barren. And oh, by the way, in case you didn't get what that means, end of verse 30, she had no child. How in the world is the Lord going to make a great nation out of these old people, likely 75 to 80 at this time, who have been barren even when they were fertile? Or they should have been fertile. These things feel impossible. And yet Abram and Sarai follow the call and they go. They had faith in what God promised even as they faced the impossibility of the task ahead of them. And church, the same is true for us. And the task ahead of us sometimes feels unachievable. How, you might be asking, how am I supposed to be able to share the gospel with my coworker who has completely different political and social values than me? Or how am I supposed to talk to my non-Christian neighbor about Jesus when I am terrified of speaking to other people about things that matter? Or how are we, this small church in central Pennsylvania, able to reach into foreign nations around the world or our post-Christian Country today with the good news of the gospel. These things are unknown and they feel weighty and daunting. And yet, in the face of all of these unknowns, we have the same God as Abram, with the same heart to reach idolatrous Babylonian people from every nation. And we can rest assured that his promises to bless the nations will not fail. We can have faith in the midst of the unknown of God's call because we are called by the same faithful God as Abram. And so we trust him. Now, as we close this morning, you may hear all this talk about a sermon series on missions and and hear these calls to become uncomfortable and give things up, and you might be sitting there in a big old pile of guilt. And if we're all honest, how many of us actually take the time to think about, to pray, to care for, to invest in missions work? I prepared this sermon and I was crushed with guilt, church. But that's not what the Lord wants for us. And guilt is not enough to motivate us to get involved in something as grand as God's redemptive plan for the nations. Better than guilt, rather than guilt, what the Lord wants for you and I this morning is to see his very heart. He wants us to see that the people lost in idolatry, just as we once were before his grace, are his heartbeat and where do we see his heart for the nations most clearly put on display for us the cross of calvary you see church god had such a heart to bless the nations that he came down again in the person of jesus to bless us by himself taking him by taking upon himself our curse As he went to the cross, Jesus gave up his own security. Jesus got out of his comfort zone. And Jesus had faith in the midst of the uncertainty of death for the sake that all nations might be blessed in him. The heart of God, as revealed first in the promise to Abram and then in the person of Jesus, is to bless the people of this world even at the expense of his own life. Do you see his heart? Do you see his love that overflows? So, as we continue through this sermon series, church, I pray that we would not be overloaded with guilt. But I pray that we would see the heart of God for the people of the world more clearly over the coming weeks and that that would stir us, like Abram and like Jesus, to get uncomfortable for the sake of seeing the nations be blessed in Jesus. There is no greater thing we can give our lives to than this. We are blessed to be a blessing. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and we are people who want to make a name for ourselves. And so often in our lives, we are distracted by so many things that are related to that. But Lord, help us to see your heartbeat for the nations and help us to see the glorious and grand plan of salvation that you have written in our writing to see people come to know Jesus as Savior. Lord, I pray that we would have our hearts softened towards the people of this world. And Lord, show us, even today, the ways in which you are calling us to get out of our comfort zone and to trust you and to go so that we might be a blessing to the nations. We love you. And we surrender our lives to you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.